I think this morning is a good indication there's a lot of interest in integrated care, and not surprisingly because of the good work that Steve and the Future Forum have done to raise the profile and to make sure this is now part of the core agenda for NHS reform moving forward. In uh, the funds contribution to the listening exercise, we published this paper, and there are copies outside, where next for NHS reforms, the case for integrated care. So not surprisingly, we welcomed what the forum said and also the government's uh, response. And the core argument we put forward is along these lines, that before we, um, before we search for solutions that might help to improve the performance of the NHS, shouldn't we spend a little bit of time defining what the problems are and then fitting those problems to any potential set of solutions that might exist out there? And our analysis, uh, as set out in that paper, is we made huge progress in the NHS in the last decade in improving performance on many indicators, particularly access and the investment in areas of clinical priority like cancer and cardiac care. But there's still a lot more to do. We can't be complacent. And particularly if we look ahead... The big challenges arising from the ageing population, the increasing prevalence of chronic medical conditions. We're not really running a healthcare system or indeed a social care system at the moment that's fit for that particular purpose. How do we reorient our investment away from so much focus on treatment services in acute hospitals to make a reality of care closer to home? We've been talking about that for as long as I can remember. And so what we set out in our contribution was a vision of a different kind of healthcare system, a new model of care is what we, what we called it. A new model with uh, a real focus on prevention, addressing the risk factors that will cause us problems if we don't do better in that area. Ensuring consistent standards of primary care, picking up on the report we published in March on quality in general practice. We have some fantastic primary care. We have some very poor primary care. We need to up our game and reduce that variability. And another feature of this new model, as we described it, was much more integration. How do we break down some of the professional barriers between GPs and specialists? How do we break down the organisational barriers between different organisations? How do we overcome some of the perverse financial incentives? So all of that led us to conclude the, the main challenge going forward is how do we refashion our healthcare system, how do we use resources more effectively, implementing a new model of care, which I've described very sketchily, because that's the challenge that we're faced with. And therefore, the solution that we were advocating is a solution based on integrated care playing a much bigger part in the NHS uh, in the future. That's not incompatible with the argument for more patient choice and greater competition. I'll come back and talk about that. We need to move beyond these very unhelpful dichotomies in the debate about health reform. Both are possible, both are compatible. It just requires a bit more thought than perhaps we've given it up until this point. So the argument for integrated care based on that kind of diagnosis of the problem we're trying to solve, and this might be a good part of the solution. And I mean, can I add to what Sarah has said in, in her comments? Um, I've had the privilege in my, my work and my career of visiting many examples of integrated care in many different countries. I spent a lot of time in the southwest with colleagues in Torbay, uh, and it really is a very good example of health and social care integration centred around the needs of older people. 
that we can learn a great deal from. I've visited uh, examples in other countries, Kaiser Permanente, Veterans Health Administration, Intermountain Healthcare in the United States. You know, the paradox being in the most fragmented non-healthcare system you could think of in the world, you have some of the really very best examples of integrated care centered around the needs of patients. And Kaiser, the VA, are, are particularly good examples of that. So what I'm saying here is I think there are there are examples drawn from experience that many of us in the room have had, uh, and there's quite a lot of evidence too. Uh, we published this paper last November, the fund called Clinical and uh, Service Integration, the Route to Improved Outcomes. You can get copies of that outside. There are copies on our website too. That reviews and summarises much of the evidence around integrated care, why it works, why it can contribute to improved outcomes, not as the only model, but as one particularly important uh, approach. So evidence and experience uh, point in the same direction. And as Steve has said, we need to be clear what we're talking about here because we can use the phrase integrated care very readily. I suspect there are many different definitions and understandings of, of what it is. In our report, we suggested one way of thinking about this is in relation to the different levels of integration. So there are the Kaiser Permanentes, there are the Veterans Health Administrations covering big populations, examples of uh, integration at the macro level. If you move down, integration more at the MISO level around the needs of particular groups of service users like older people. Mental health would be another example. There are excellent living examples of integrated services focused in both of these areas. And then at the level of the patient or, or the service user, uh, micro-level integration, care coordination for Mrs. Smith. How do we make sure that when she comes into contact with many different health and social care professionals, they know about her and her needs? And there are different tools that have been used, like case management, like personal health budgets, uh, like virtual wards, all designed to achieve integration at that micro level. So different levels, uh, also different types of integration. If you think about specialist services, often these days we hear about the progress made, for example, in stroke care, the progress in London, in Manchester and elsewhere, getting hospitals to collaborate across uh, an acute sector network to agree which hospitals can provide world-class stroke care by concentrating stroke services in fewer centres able to deliver better results. Integration, as I say, around the needs of frail older people in Torbay and, and elsewhere. Integration around the needs of people with chronic conditions, diabetes, respiratory, and many other examples in different parts of the NHS. So we're not starting with a blank sheet of paper. We already have some, some live examples to give us confidence in moving forward. So back to this challenge, we need, through the regulator, as uh, Sarah has said, uh, a nuanced approach. We need competition in some areas of care. Our view here is that competition is particularly important in relation to planned and elective care, access to diagnostic services included within that, where it's much more feasible to think about patients being able to exercise informed choices and being able, to, as it were, to shop around for the hospital or the service that offers them the best uh, value. And that needn't be incompatible with collaboration uh, with organisations working uh, together, particularly in relation to unplanned care, people with complex needs, not just those in Parliament, but those outside Parliament too, who need organisations that are working together to meet their needs. 
And in fact, most areas of healthcare, if you look at use and spend, are focused in unplanned care, people with complex needs, not in the first category I've spoken of. And it's entirely possible to conceive how there could be a lot of choice in both planned care and in unplanned care. So I think it's the direction we need to move in, proper regulation supporting both competition and collaboration. And the changes the Future Forum has recommended and the government's put forward ought to move us in that direction. So the last thing I wanted to say is that uh, in the government's response, there is a, a section that talks about the King's Fund working with the Nuffield Trust uh, with the Department of Health in, in thinking about where next. Now this is very much on the agenda. How do we make a reality of integrated care on the ground? And the early thinking on this, still very much uh, work in progress, is where next needs to move beyond uh, relatively small-scale pilot projects. There are too many of those out there, and I'm not trying to damn them with faint praise. But the times we're in require a more ambitious approach. We need to work at scale to achieve greater integration of care you know, across a county or across a city because QUIP and the financial and service challenges demand nothing less than that. We need to work in receptive contexts. There's no point trying to push the boulder uphill. We need to work in parts of the country where people believe that integrated care has a part to play in the future of the NHS. And we need real clinical engagement and cl clinical leadership in that process too. We need to test out different models in a variety of settings, urban settings, rural settings, test out the models around frail older people, but in relation to particular chronic diseases too. But having said that, uh, personally, I'm quite cautious about going too far down a disease-based route to integration. My concern is that if we do that, we might end up in three years' time in a city or a county with an integrated diabetes service, coexisting with an integrated respiratory service, and so on. Uh, we've created new silos to replace the old silos we're breaking down. I think if we're serious about this, we need to give quite a lot of thought before we embark on the journey and focus much more on integration around populations rather than diseases and populations of people with the complex needs. There are a lot of good ideas out there around commissioning integrated pathway hubs, but let's just pause again before we rush headlong, perhaps in the search for the wrong solutions. And I think there's a key role here for commissioners, the new clinical commissioning groups are in pole position to use their power as commissioners to facilitate the emergence of integrated models of care in whatever of the different varieties I've spoken about. And uh, I've been involved with colleagues at the Nuffield Trust in a piece of work in this area published in September, setting out some very practical ideas, I hope, on how commissioners, the new clinical commissioning groups, can learn from the experience of PCTs and do even better than PCTs in commissioning integrated care. That includes finding the right incentives and payment systems, moving beyond the current tariff, tariff which simply uh, you know, pays for widgets of care, doesn't pay for integrated care, and finding the right contracting and procurement routes to take in that process. So the last thing I wanted to say is some of our thinking in this area, the fund, has been shaped by the uh, interesting work of, uh, of Michael Porter and Elizabeth Tysberg in their blockbuster analysis of uh, the challenges of healthcare in the States where they talk, I think, persuasively about the, the wrong kind of competition in the US healthcare market. And they argue 
as you might expect, for the right kind of competition, not based on fragmentation and cost shifting, but more based on competition between integrated systems. And let's be clear about this. If we're into a debate now, is it the latest buzzword or the future of the NHS? There is a risk of the wrong kind of integration. You know, the wrong kind of integration will not offer us any benefits over where we are unless we get our thinking caps on and think about how we move in the right direction away from the fragmentation, the risk we've all identified, and encourage the right degree of responsiveness, of choice, of innovation in the models we need to adapt. I was reading recently a review of the experience in Scotland of their community health partnerships produced by um, Audit Scotland, I think it was. And it's a pretty damning report of the failure of that particular approach to integration to deliver the claimed for benefits. So going into this with our eyes open, the wrong kind of integration to be avoided, the right kind of integration to be encouraged. Thank you.